Morning. Welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. I'm Jackson, and I won't try to be funny this week with my intro because we have a guest this week. We have a a reoccurring guest. Uh, We have Eric from Fishboy. Hello, Eric. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for coming back. You were, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you are our second guest. Our first guest was, uh, depending on where on your Zoom call he is, uh, Dave, who is right above your head in my Zoom call. It's good to see that we're having the reoccurring guests come on, and we're, we're hoping that uh, you'll join as a co-host, too. This isn't actually, we're not actually going to talk to you about your music or ask you any questions. We're just here to ask you to join the podcast. That's it. That's all. Please, please join the podcast. I want to leave, so you could take over from my spot. That'd be great. I have, I have zero <laughs> time to add something else in my life. <laughs> Well, we're happy to have you uh, right up the top. Uh, the reason why we have you is because you just had a new album that came out last week, Waitsgiving. We're going to talk about it more uh, later on in the episode, but for anybody who just comes to listen to us say our names and then heads out before they can hear an ad or anything like that, Eric's got a new album out, so congrats on that. Thank you. Woo! Do we want to talk about, uh, we, we thought it'd be a good idea, especially with your uh, expertise uh, in uh, releasing music and using Bandcamp. I think you've used it a little more creatively than, you know, I think even myself where I've just put up, you know, CDs and stuff like that. You put up a lot of, uh, you know, different uh, merch, different merch ideas and stuff like that. And you've used it well. So we thought it would be a good uh, something that I think Hagen's brought up a couple of times. Of just talking about Bandcamp, it's become a really, uh, it's become a platform itself. It's, I, I think, you know, in my mind, it's more relevant than iTunes at this point. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, for sure. iTunes is dead, right? Yeah. No, you can still buy music on iTunes. I, I oh, really? Because okay. I've done that recently. <laughs> but some stuff's just not on Bandcamp. But my default. My default is go to go to go Bandcamp, you know, because it is the more relevant place. Can you explain what situation you got yourself in that you had to buy on iTunes? <laughs> Did somebody call you and need all the money from your bank account, and then you had to go buy gift cards? <laughs> no, surprisingly not. It was a uh, music I couldn't find anywhere else, legally or otherwise. So, was it a Nick Cave album? No. Also, was not a Fishboy album because I got that on Bandcamp. Hey, are you good? Friday, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you said that. That was really I, I, funny. That I don't think really that's good. a bad thing I said, is it? No, it's not a bad thing. That was just really funny. No, that was just really that was good. A great joke. Cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that uh, there's a lot there's a lot to be said about Bandcamp, um, but it it, it really it, it's it's done something really cool I think to the independent music scene and has give every given everyone more of a space to do what they want to do and how they want to do it in terms of releasing music. Um, and it's interesting because it started as the alternative to MySpace. That's like they, they were like, we're going to make a different MySpace, but just for music and just give the bands the opportunity to do this, do this thing and give them the space where they can do whatever they want to. And we'll just take a little percentage and we'll make all of the audio files work and we'll give them analytics and all this other stuff. All they have to do is just give us 15 percent. That's it, which is nuts. It's 10 percent it's of its merch, I guess, but 15 percent for, for music downloads. That's cool. Eric, when did you join Bandcamp? I was there I was there from the beginning and actually like uh so, so a little bit of background for the audience. I've been making music for almost 20 years now since I was a, a teenager using the same name, Fishboy. So uh Bandcamp launched around 2009, I think, 2008. My first release on Bandcamp was 2009. Damn. Wow. So I've been on a losing streak for getting um, Fishboy for any of these sites, <laughs> any social media sites. <laughs> I have it. I think I have it for Tumblr, which I joined around the same year. But other than that, I have Yo Fishboy for everything. <laughs> so yeah, my MySpace was out and Facebook was coming up. 
and um, people all started just streaming, figuring out that they could stream their entire album. Uh, it, it became a trend on various sites. And there was another site called Mux Tape, which launched at the very same time as Bandcamp. And there was more popular artists on Mux Tape. So I got Fishboy at Mux Tape, but I wasn't fast enough to get Fishboy at Bandcamp. And I got Yo <laughs> Fishboy. So, but someone is sitting on Fishboy dot band camp and i i messaged them i'm like look i'm obviously this clearly i'm fish boy <laughs> and and they and they wouldn't budge they're like look we set this up so you don't need the url of your band like we're not going to make an exception even though that person hasn't posted any music they're just sitting on the url well maybe they have and i haven't checked that's really annoying yeah so but i thought muxtape was going to be it and I can't think of like the band. And I, I feel like it was like of Montreal and like maybe like Sufjan Stevens or something were like Mux Tape over Bandcamp and um, a couple other big names. And then eventually Bandcamp got their, their sales thing set up and just Mux Tape went away. I, I wonder if it's because of the name. Maybe I don't know. Bandcamp is a far better. It yeah. is a better name, and I, sure. I'm still fully not aware of what you're saying is the other one. You're saying Mux Tape? Is that what you're saying? It's like mixtape. Sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why that didn't work right. out. <laughs> but they were both very, very simple, which was like the 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 big the big selling point. Because if you remember, the end of MySpace was like a minefield of ugliness every time you went to someone's page. So this was this was like swinging the other way. It's like you don't get control of any of the looks. Just make it simple. Put your music up. Make it easy for people to listen to it. Yeah, and there there's a lot of like work like like interacting with your fans too through Bandcamp, which is cool. Uh so I am now looking at the fishboy.bandcamp.com and there is uh it is literally just like it's like if you looked at a profile they haven't even bought any music on Bandcamp. It's just it's just a blue circle says fishboy. And it's interesting because didn't you just weren't you featured on like the like the 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 front page of Bandcamp last <laughs> yeah. week and you yeah, right. think they would right yeah. <laughs> you up with the right name. I mean I tried to get it I mean this was this was like you know, 10 years ago where I emailed them and was like, look, I don't want someone to like pose as me and start selling my music, guys. Like, this is a big issue that you need to fix. They're like, no. Were you worried of that no. like situation that the when the ZZ Top guys used to tour around the US as the zombies uh, because that was in that era when people couldn't verify the band uh, that they were seeing was actually the band they were seeing? I mean, kind of, because it was an it was a new thing, you know. Literally, anyone could sign up and put put any music up there and sell it, you know. Because through iTunes, you have to like go through all these extra steps. You have to get a digital distributor, and um, there's all this verification involved. But Bandcamp, upload it, hook it up to a PayPal. And even I think I think Spotify has the that issue of people putting fake music up. Yeah, you can um like they don't they they don't like check it as often uh, to see if like people have the same name. So uh, there's like a rap group by the name of Man Man, um, and I'm obsessed with the band Man Man. So I, I I was on my release radar like two years ago, and I saw something three years ago, and maybe I saw a release from Man Man. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome! They're putting new music out. And I was very surprised when I pressed play, and it was not Man Man. Uh, big old shock. Right. Uh, so they don't they don't police it as much as as they should. Technically, they they're supposed to, I think, but they just don't. So it's like anyone control. But I guess that's kind of the double edged sword of it, because you know, as you're saying, you know, it is not controlled as well as you would want it to be. But also, it does allow. Like I remember in a similar situation, or I remember my first release uh, when I finished, you know mixing and mastering my first EP, uh, I was kind of like, okay, what do I do with it now? How do I get it on iTunes? As like a high schooler, I was like, I have no clue 
what that means. I can't get a record label. I'm not that good, that kind of thing. And it just ended up, I stumbled on to Bandcamp because I had a lot of friends who were rappers at the time where we're like, you got SoundCloud, you got Bandcamp, you just put it up there and it's free. And yeah, I mean, like it gives you that a lot of freedom for like both smaller artists and larger artists because I have seen larger artists, um, you know, and when I'm talking about larger artists, I'm talking about people like maybe like Big Thief and like Phoebe Bridgers who will put special releases on Bandcamp. I mean, you're, you're not really seeing someone like Jack White or Jay-Z going on to Bandcamp, but it, it does, it allows that freedom. It takes a lot of that uh, digital distributor having a record label for better or for worse. I mean, does it dilute the the pool that we're going through? Maybe, but it depends on where you fall on that end of that debate. Well, in some ways, you almost don't even have to have a website for the artist, like for itself. You can just ha- have a website like Bandcamp, have that be your main homepage. Yeah, this is something that I wanted to to, to right. bring up. I have like a list of like topical questions about Bandcamp to see what you guys thought about them. And one of them is I kept reading on these articles about Bandcamp. They were describing it as like basically a replacement for a press kit. Do you guys think that Bandcamp is is a press kit replacement? Because you have links to all your social media and you have links to YouTube, I assume, if you have videos you need to promote. It kind of seems like you could theoretically replace your press kit with your Bandcamp. I think theoretically, yes. In actuality, probably not. I couldn't see it going over well sending that. So say you're trying to book an East Coast tour and you send to some you know, venue in Boston or something like that and just say, here's my Bandcamp. They're probably going to want a, a, a lot more because it's a lot more work on their end. They, they want to see that you put the effort in. But once again, should it be that way? Maybe not. Yeah, from my pr- perspective, that opinion changes every five years. Like, it, it it goes from looking like a professional and trying to trick people into your to <laughs> trick people trying to trick you into thinking they're a professional to like swinging the other way to where it's like if you act too professional, you you look uncool, and um. I prefer the like try hard <laughs> type of way over the try hard to look like you're acting casual right. type of way, you know. Um, I think right now we're at a casual moment. Yeah, I think I think right now is very hard to gauge because there isn't like you know you can't do yeah. the same level of promotions and and releases as you normally could. So I think I think we definitely are at a casual moment. I mean, I don't I I don't post any I, for like the first week. Uh, of like the pandemic i was posting about my music i was like hey you can't go see shows but you can go listen to music i've been a part of and here's other local music you can go listen to and so on and then i I didn't want to keep doing that that's a that's annoying for me and everyone else (laughs) especially at that time because everybody was posting about their stuff they're like oh no we don't have any gigs on the books i'm not gonna make any money please buy my merch or take lessons with me yeah, I think I think it definitely is going to stay casual for a little bit. I I already know that people who are trying to seek out booking right now are like uh they're they're just sending like casual emails and when they hear that there's no payout because venues don't have money, they're like livid. They're like <laughs> fucking furious. Just like, "Sorry, this doesn't check out. This isn't this isn't how this is supposed to work." <laughs> I will say right. uh with what Eric you were saying, um I do think it kind of just be yourself when it comes to that kind of thing, when you're talking about the whether you want to try hard or just be casual about it. And I don't know this because I'm not a, a booking agent, but I would assume like a really pristine, you know, math rock bands EPK looks way different than like an experimental noise bands. Like you have to think that that right. noise band is probably like, hey, will you please book us at your venue in New York City? And that like, math rock one is probably like airtight it probably looks like real flashy like a new pair of nikes something like that and i will say when i have like in the past when i've really worried about this stuff i always regret it because it's all it's it's wasted time i could be making my music and art better right um and sometimes i do that this type of stuff when i'm you know letting ideas ruminate (laughs) and so maybe it's not wasted time but uh i think the the bottom line rule for everything is that like 
however much time you spend on this stuff, always spend more time on making your music better and making your thing better, and you'll be in a good place because like it all be, it all, everything comes easier. The the <laughs> the more people like your the stuff. higher quality the art the the rest kind of takes care of itself right. because you can imagine people in in some ways procrastinating actually creating art. Uh, productive procrastination by you know i need to update my website i need to update my epk in lieu instead of writing this song that's giving me trouble right so uh, we've been talking about it from the artist standpoint and i think this is a common thing especially the app what is it like to be a consumer using Bandcamp. Like what is it like for my dad who will never put anything up on Bandcamp but will go and buy my record off Bandcamp? I know the app is notoriously bad. Dude, dude. Oh. I I <laughs> I don't think the actual experience of getting onto the website is, you know, I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh I think the only thing that can be kind of complicated is when there's a minimum price and people are like, oh, what do I do here? I can put more. Do I need to put more? I mean, yes, you should always put more if you can. I I think overall, it's a pretty seamless experience uh, for everyone involved, unless you're using the mobile app. Well, what's interesting is that the the mobile app for artists is actually pretty good, but the mobile app for listeners is very bad, which is like, it speaks to a really great part of Bandcamp, which is that they, they actually care about artists. I mean, that's, I mean, it's always been clear, but like, if they make the app for the artists better than the app for the listeners, like that's awesome. That's a really cool contrast. Uh, but as someone who like, I want to listen to maybe something on Bandcamp when I'm like when in my car or like with head on a walk or something, I, I have to go to their website and I don't, I mean like their website looks weird on like mobile. And so then the app is the other option. And the app is just, it's, it's just, I, can't, I don't want to say like really bad stuff, but it's just not, it just doesn't work well. It's just not a good option. But Adam, like as a listener, I mean, you use Bandcamp a lot, which I think is like a really cool thing. Uh, but like, what, what are your general thoughts of Bandcamp as a listener, aside from you like it? I mean, I don't listen using the app or the website a lot. Um, I mean, if I do listen to something before I buy it, I listen to it on the website once and then buy it or don't buy it. But I mostly just use it as a store in that regard, just to buy the music I want to buy and support the artists I want to support. Um, and all of that's great. I think Discovery is kind of good there, which I know I'm like I'm missing out on that by not using Spotify like the rest of the world. Um, so that's good to get some of that like Discovery angle and seeing what's been featured and the Bandcamp Daily and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't use Spotify either, so we're we're together on that one. Yeah. <clears throat> I was going to ask Eric, like being on, on Bandcamp since it started, uh, seeing all these new things come along, your music is on Spotify. Uh, I'm sure it's everywhere that can be found uh, that streams. Yeah. How has that changed yeah. your interaction with your um, Bandcamp platform? Yeah. I mean, the sales are definitely lower since Spotify really caught caught its stride. And I also I also find people listening on spotify and then coming back to Bandcamp to buy that's good or they'll go to my site to buy because i have a message on my site that says hey Bandcamp is a great um great site that i also sell my stuff on like they take 15 percent if you don't need uh immediate downloads you know please buy it from my site and so i probably have gotten more site purchases than Bandcamp. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> does. I think that's just the re- the reality for most people. But it's just interesting because I, I don't know many people that were on that platform when it started. So a lot has happened in the last, what is that? I don't know. I'm bad at math. It's like It's been like 10 years, 12 years or something. Something like that. Yeah. So much has changed over the course of that time. And it will continue. Yeah, to my first... Bandcamp release was 2009 and um it was I, I got on the vinyl train too early mm-hmm. and so I pressed 500 vinyl 500 records thinking like well I could sell 500 CDs really easy and then like I put out a new record 
and uh, yeah, and people hadn't hadn't jumped onto it. <laughs> and you know, when you have something new, it's like people want to buy the new thing. So by the time people had caught up to the vinyl bandwagon, it was like, oh, that's an old record. I don't. That's want an old. <laughs> <laughs> so did you in the new record Wait's giving? You have a download card. Yeah. In the in the sleeve, has have you done that the whole time? Uh, yeah. And do people typically use the download? Like, can you tell, can you track those things? I don't know much about the download Yeah, you card. can. People typically don't use them anymore. That's interesting. No. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I'm uh, probably not going to use mine. So if, Eric, if you'd like it back, I can just go ahead and text <laughs> you the code. <laughs> Bandcamp is really good. If you pass a, a certain number of sales, they'll give you free downloads. And I basically have enough free downloads for the rest of my life. That's awesome. It's not a it's not a crazy amount either. I can't remember what the amount is, but I know that they off the bat just give you two hundred free downloads. Yeah, and then and then once you make a certain amount, like you said, like it's a small amount, and then they just give you a fuck ton more, and you just keep it's it's a it's a really great thing. There was a point where uh, on when I was on tour with Kites and Boomerangs, we were just giving out all of our extra download codes. We just had all of this shit sitting around. I was like, just please, you're not gonna buy it. We know you're not gonna buy it. <laughs> Like we've had, like I, it would be people that were like watching us having a great time, and I'd be trying to like I, I you know I haven't done this in so long, and it it always felt weird to do like the whole like I'm on tour, please buy my shit like salesman thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I would like do that all night, and then at the end of the night they I knew they weren't gonna buy anything. I'm like, okay, you're not gonna buy this T-shirt you really like. Just take this, please. Please take this download code. Please. I beg you. Just take something so I feel like I've done something except for, like, aside from just drink and play drums tonight. Please. (laughs) Well, you know, talking a little bit more about, you know, what Bandcamp has become, especially as we rounded off, you know, recent history with a pandemic and the creative community, especially musicians, being hit really hard of not being able to uh, make the typical income gigging, which most of us know that, but if you're listening and you don't know it, that is, you know, that's where people make their money. It doesn't matter if you're a, you know, touring musician or just you play uh, church gigs. That That's the heart and soul of where you make your money as a musician. Even your favorite musicians, that's how they make their money nowadays. But Van Kipp did a cool thing where they did their... Uh, their pandemic response was, you know, Bandcamp Fridays, where, as we've been talking about, they typically take 15% off uh, the top of your uh, earnings. And they just went ahead for, you know, 24 hours, they would announce in advance, hey, all the proceeds are going to be going to artists. So they have started doing really cool things like that. I mean, even the the vinyl pressing system that they did the kind of like the beta testing, and now they're kind of rolling that out that, hey, if you sell, like you can basically pre-order a band's vinyl and they won't press it until they've hit that specific amount so you can avoid a situation of printing 500 uh, copies before you're ready, that kind of thing. So they, they're, they've definitely done some really cool things. And like, Eric, I know your most recent record, that came out on a Bandcamp Friday, right? Yeah, yeah, it did. Was that on purpose? No, that was a coincidence. Or... Maybe it was on. I don't know. If ask, <laughs> ask the label. I don't. I think it was a coincidence because they had something else. They had another record come out the week before. So, yeah, I think it was a coincidence. That's a good coincidence. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's a good one. <laughs> that's Sometimes a good one. over the course of your career, haven't they? Haven't always been good coincidences. Right. <laughs> right. And I, I and let me ask you this for you for those who use Spotify, can you can you search by city? bands from certain cities i, I, I don't believe I don't so because so. that so. that is like the best feature for touring musicians that Bandcamp has ever had and like since you can't really let me back up so um what i used to do was like oh i'm gonna go book an indie tour like let's go check the tag for each town and then you can see as uh, by listens who's the most popular in the town, and you can, you know, maybe the first one is like, okay, this person's not going to email me back, and then you go down the list and be like, okay, this person's like fairly popular, and they look like nice people, and their music is similar to us. Uh, let's send these people an email, 
And that was like a big thing MySpace had um, where you could easily connect with someone, book a show, um, and then have them, and then you email them and then you trade a show, right? I'll book I'll book a show in my hometown for you. You book a show in your hometown for me. Let's be friends forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now since now since like the Bandcamp charts are probably off because people are on Spotify, you probably have to do more work. Um, and then some people aren't even tagging their city in Bandcamp anymore, as I've seen, which is unfortunate. So maybe they're not aware of of that function. Maybe they don't want people like me, um, you know, <laughs> knowing knowing where they live, emailing them asking for shows. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yours is much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the uh, the you know the Bandcamp Fridays. The numbers are pretty cool. Uh, I found them really interesting. Just uh, on on the first Bandcamp Friday on March twentieth, um, they they sold over eight hundred thousand records, or that, that many were purchased. Um, within 24 hours, uh, they they it was 4.3 million dollars in music and merch, um, and then May 1st was 7.1 million. June 5th, 4.8 million. I mean, these are just on one day, uh, and it's it's pretty crazy to see those numbers for like a small like a, not not a small but like an independent streaming service, independent music service. Um, it's pretty great. But so uh, a lot of like I have one one more kind of like Bandcamp thing that I want to ask everybody their thoughts on, and a really common theme in, in reading about Bandcamp is that everybody uh, talks about how they're like this kind of opposite expectation in like the Silicon Valley dream, and that they're a super slow, slow like driving burn. Like it's like a lot of times if you don't succeed quickly in those sorts of situations, it's not going to work. But they've been around and they've continually grown and they've found their way. Um, and they, they're finding their way more into uh, lots of different ways to expand. Jackson, like you said, with the record pressing stuff, they're starting to do like a live streaming thing. Um, they have like their Bandcamp Oakland store, which is a record store and a performance space. Um, so the, 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 the thing I want to ask everybody is, do you think that Bandcamp will continue to move forward? And do you ever think that it will like get into this like quote unquote mainstream space? I'll just go ahead and answer real quick. I think, as unfortunate as it is, I think any online platform like this, no matter how big it is in the moment, in five to 10 years, there's going to be either a replacement or it will have just kind of naturally started to wane in popularity. As much as I don't want that to happen to Bandcamp as, you know, because I do like the platform, I just think that's the natural you know, evolution of it, but also the internet as we know it is such a young platform that who knows, maybe everything that's big right now will be big in 30 years, but that's just my personal opinion on it. I think as a company too, they can adapt to whatever happens in the changes. Uh, my favorite example is in the skateboard culture, there's Thrasher magazine was the biggest magazine in skateboarding. And then uh, as everything started becoming online, they just, started a website. So now they still sell the magazine, but their most of their money is made through hosting videos on their website. So, you know, they can adapt in that way, hopefully. I have no idea, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best answer yeah, we're that gonna is. have. That really yeah. is. That I really mean, is. I think to your point, Jackson, like they're they'll probably be better off than a lot of those VC funded companies in Silicon Valley because they're a profitable business and they're doing their own thing. They don't have investors to make happy and make, you know, grow 400% every year or anything like that. So I think that's part of why they've had success maybe over that other service that you mentioned, Eric, because they didn't have that pressure and they could kind of just let things grow on their own. And that means they can hopefully, you know, endure problems better than they would if they had a bunch of uh, investors wanting their money back. Yeah. It seems like music is the first thing that, that tech startup middlemen try to jump on and ruin let's ruin it in a new way and uh <laughs> Bandcamp has not done that they've done the opposite of that so i hope they stick around for a long time yeah and I, I get the impression too that they're mostly probably entirely everybody who works there is in it for the right reasons not just like a well i, I can work here for a few years and get my stock options at you know facebook and another thing and let me ask you guys this question Band, so if you stream something on Bandcamp, right, it's free. Whereas uh, 
Spotify, you get a or Apple Music or Tidal or what? I don't know if Tidal's still a thing. Streaming services, <laughs> uh, it's like a hundredth of a penny or something, right? Uh, it's very minimal. So, in my opinion, I would rather have. I would rather give someone something for free, with with the understanding, with their understanding that they are getting it for free that they should uh, buy it if they really feel like it has worth. If they want to support. Yeah. As opposed to like, let's just devalue this thing down to nothing. Because I, I imagine there's a lot of people who, who, who think, well, oh, this is legally, they're getting something. I can just you know, the more I listen to it, the more I'll, I'll get paid, and they have a complete misunderstanding of what's going on. But on the flip side of that, if you blow up on a streaming service, you do actually make something. Whereas if you blow up on Bandcamp streaming, maybe you'll make more with sales, but there's no promise. Where do you, where do you guys stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's kind of insulting in, its, in a certain way to get a fraction of a fraction of a cent when someone streams your music. And as you were saying, if you blow up on something like Spotify, uh, by the time you make any real money from that platform, you don't really need the money from that platform because your concert sales and your merch sales are up. So I can totally understand wanting to give it give it to someone for free and say, hey, there's no strings attached, but please, the understanding is if you like it, purchase it from there. Whereas you can't buy music from Spotify, I don't think. You can buy merch, but you can't, buy records right uh i don't think i don't think they have a merch option well i mean they have a merch i mean i imagine you could set up like a record on there i just haven't seen that before uh they have a donation option that they started during the pandemic yeah they added a tip jar they they they, they, they call they call it the tip jar um which is <laughs> which is just like it's just like reaching um i'm like i'm i'm pretty uh i think my opinion tends to lean towards like a shitty opinion for a musician um, but my opinion is that, uh, you know, the music industry was never going into a positive place like Bandcamp in the first place. And I mean, Bandcamp, I don't think will ever be in this crazy mainstream place like Spotify. I, ho- I wish it would. I think that the amount that you get paid from Spotify is fucked, but it adds up to how everything was going. I, I think if you look at like the general numbers of like streaming and you see, um, you know, your friend's band gets, you know, 30,000 plays a month, right? Let's say that's the case. Um, uh, if you want to figure out the math into how many albums that is or how many albums that could be, I mean, that's just listens. One person can buy your album and listen to it 30,000 times. I mean, there's, there's, there's all these different variables into how to actually approach the payment system. I heard someone complain that one of their songs had 100,000 pays and they got like $100 or something like that. And, and they were really upset. I'm like, yeah, that does suck. But I mean, like, it's one of your songs that got played 100,000 times. I mean, how do you want them to price this? And do you know how many people have that many plays on their songs and you expect all of the, all of them to get paid the same amount? Doesn't It just doesn't, like, the math doesn't add up in my head to a place where everyone can be happy with the payout system. And Spotify already, like, for, like, like for a while didn't make money. They weren't a profitable company. So it's, it's, there's way too many layers of how the money works for me to like truly be angry at Spotify. Uh, it's more just like the music industry sucks dick. That's more where <laughs> like it's, it's more like Spotify got there first, kind of like yeah, with digital yeah. music sales. Apple was there first ish with iTunes, right? Like, have you seen the argument of uh, okay, so someone pays um, ten dollars a month and uh, they only listen to. 10 albums why wouldn't you uh give each one of those artists a dollar because I think that's they, great they have the stats right. but they're not doing that they're giving all no. those artists the the tenth of the of the penny or whatever i don't know if there it's an actual union but there is a group of musicians or people in the music industry who uh are making that argument to streamers like spotify saying like hey if you only listen to the foo fighters and fish boy and you pay ten dollars a month and it's 50 percent each why don't you give five dollars to each why are you giving 90 percent of that money to drake and beyonce who you don't even listen to 
you only listen to local Denton bands. Why aren't you doing that? So there, there is that. I don't think that they'll ever actually go that way completely, yeah. but it would be cool if, you know, maybe Bandcamp could start their own streaming uh, situation where they do pay it in that exact way of like, hey, we know what percent you listen to X, Y, and Z, and it should go uh, be distributed as such. Yeah, that would be ideal for sure. Right. I think that I think that the, the there's a couple of issues that they'll obviously see. One, they don't want to do the work. Like they have the stats, like you said, but they don't want to do that work. Two, the other problem that I could see <laughs> is that, that that from from their perspective at least would be uh, they're trying to make all of like the Drakes of the world happy. So like they're not they they, they don't want to. I mean, Drake wouldn't lose that much money, or maybe he'd make more money from the situation. Who knows? But like they need to make sure that the people who are getting like the most plays on Spotify, keeping the most users on Spotify, they need to keep those people and the artists happy. So it's, it's, that's the only thing I could see about that. That would be wrong. Um, and honestly, I bet it would lean more towards, they don't want to do the work. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's a, that, that's a pretty big change in how they do the payment system. And that would be, uh, that would be a big, I mean, who likes to do their job, right? Who wants to do their job? <laughs> There's got to be a way for them to automate that pretty easily. Well, I think the bigger problem would be the like financial work to figure out how do we make this work at all because they're paying all those big names a lot of money now. They'd probably have to pay them less if they went based on how often their music was played. And then you might have artists you know, leave Spotify and that's not good for business because they'll go to somewhere else. Like Tidal might become relevant again in this hypothetical because they would be paying those artists more. So, Well, the smaller example could be, you know, when you go to a show, if they were to ask you at the door, yeah, it's $5 to get in, but who are you here to see? We will give that band the money. It's like if I were on that bill and I was trying to get a, you know, trying to start my band up and get them all popular and stuff, I'd be pissed about that because then you don't make any money on the way up. Yeah, but I mean, your exposure bucks, you're, 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 you're flushed with exposure cash, dude. Exposure cash <laughs> exposure all bucks. the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Eric, while we have you here, let's talk about your new music. I'll go ahead and kick it off. Uh, sure. You had your seventh LP, if that's correct, uh, if I counted correctly. Weight's Giving, it was released uh, April 2nd, which, as this comes out, was last Friday. And I will start with the simple first question what i hope is simple what is the album about that's not simple at all <laughs> no, no it's not is it <laughs> yeah so the album is is uh 10 songs about uh it's 10 different short stories about nine different people who are all um experiencing patience in one way or another and they all have their own stories, and then the stories start to connect and fold in on each other into like a dense, complicated web. The whole theme of the album is waiting and being patient. So should we go ahead and mention, just in case any of our listeners uh, are thinking, oh, Eric wrote all this album uh, while being quarantined in his house should we go ahead and mention that this album was well into production prior to the pandemic another coincidence <laughs> right right um <laughs> so i had written this song i had written this album while driving to dallas for my job uh over the course of a year and a half in 2018 and part of 2019 and uh i had i just had uh, a child so I had a one-year-old who turned two during that time. And um, it was the first time that I had a day job with a commute in a while. So I was freaked out that I wouldn't, you know, be able to make music in the same style that I had. I think my la the album before that, Art Guards, I, I developed a pattern of like, spending a day pacing around my kitchen coming up with stuff <laughs> and now it's like i have zero days to pay pace around my kitchen at all even if i wanted to yeah so it was all done on the car on a phone written not recorded um i figured out a certain combination of phone apps <laughs> yeah you said you would record <laughs> record ideas in the car and then go home and put guitar over them when you had time. Yeah, so I used 
Um, an app called Spire and an app called Sound Prism, which is like an omni-chord app that you just use your thumb to hit one chord at a time. And then I used a couple simple drum machine apps. And then I would just record ideas and um, melodies and ideas. And then sometimes I would go home and I'd be like, okay, I know what the guitar part for that would be. And then like when everyone would go to sleep, baby would go to sleep, wife would go to sleep. I would like play it really quietly in the, <laughs> in the farthest corner of the house, you know, up to my phone and be like, okay, there's a scratch. You know, it doesn't sound good, but it's enough for me to get the idea. And then I would take it back into the car, come up with ideas or <laughs> sing. And sometimes I would only get like a line a day and then uh, just play back the line and then figure it out. And then if I was too tired to um, sing or do anything melodic, I was just like thinking of like the plot of this album and like thinking about what I even want to say. There's a ma- you can't see it, but there's a massive wall of sticky notes over here that I've left up that eventually I'm going to like make a video and take it down. I've just been waiting for the album to come out for me to pull it off. So it's like very like overly mapped um, just because I had all this time in the car thinking about it. Uh, so, yes, it was not written in quarantine. <laughs> By the way, I love the idea for anyone who hasn't been to an uh a fishboy show the idea of eric playing softly i i just don't think i could see that happening cuz you're typically a really energetic person at your show right right and 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 the downside of doing it that way is that like i would write write a scratch guitar part and then i would get in the car and be like oh the chord should do this now but i, rec- I recorded the scratch in a different way it's like okay wait Okay, stop recording for the day. Remember that when you get home. Or like sometimes like, and I have audio notes where it's just like, it'll just be like coming up with an idea for the song. And it's not even the actual song. It's like, so there's one audio note that's like, like one of the stories of these songs is like, uh, it's about a like a uh, guy who um, makes barbecue, right? So I'm like thinking of this thing. And so I go back, I went back recently and looked at the audio notes and it's like, you need to name, name the, the smoker. You need to come up with a name for the smoker. And it, and the note doesn't even have the name of the smoker. It's just like, eventually make a lyric where you give the smoker a name. And, and, and the, the, yeah, that name ends up becoming quite a big character in the, in the story. Right. Uh, Peggy, sorry, Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue, right. Uh, how did you come up with that name? And I'll, so part two to that question, for that song specifically, it's a quieter song, which is not, yeah. like as you said, you like to play louder. Uh, did writing late at night, trying not to wake up your baby, influence the energy of some of the songs on this record? No. What influenced the energy was the fact that I had to record it at home during quarantine. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so originally I had envisioned it as being like similar to art guards. I, 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 there's even like a tweet somewhere two years ago that's like, hey, everyone, don't be afraid to do to repeat yourself and do the same thing because no one was paying attention the first time. Like, <laughs> and so I had told that to myself and I'm like, uh, I think I can just make um, art guards, but better. So that was my initial idea. So I, I finished writing this song, this whole album in 2019 in the summer. And um, the band was like not very active during that point. I mean, the year while I was while I was writing because a, you know, kid and job. And so so I'm like, OK, guys, let's let's do it. I've got the songs. I have wrote this perfect album. Let's do it. And then uh, my drummer had started like three bands in the meantime. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> and he was Drummers. like, "Uh, yeah, uh, I'm pretty, co- I'm pretty committed to these three bands. <laughs> I don't think I could play on this." And I'm like, "Oh no." Did did that influence your right? Oh no, they were already written. They were written. Say the the drummer character in this in this uh, this record is a problem as well. <laughs> That's that was like that was a coincidence. 
Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> sure, Eric. Nothing, sure. nothing to read into about that, huh? No. That was like, that was like, I want. I, honestly, that song was one of the last songs I wrote, and it was because I needed another fast song on the album because I had too many slow songs. And the way I had set up the story is that I talked about a singer and a bass player, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I need a song about a drummer. And that's a drummer can be a fast song. And then and then I was just like filling in the gaps of the story. Right. So when you mentioned in the lyrics that the 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 drummer from his perspective is saying like he can still play a solo. Yeah. Is that um I, I, I like to imagine that drummer is pretty bombastic in the first place, you know, lighting the cymbals on fire. Right. Uh not playing drums for a long time, but going like I can still play a solo. Right. I just think that's it's it's such a subtle lyric that really paints the picture of who that character is in the story, right? And that story is also kind of like there's a lot of like um, generational thinking in this album. Like there's there's like a a boomer section, and there's like a Gen Gen Z <laughs> section, and there's like a millennial Gen X section, and there's like three of each. So that's that's also like kind of an indictment of of the stupidity of boomers is that <laughs> is that one <laughs> that character <laughs> you did mention that this album was written uh from your commute from denton to dallas but yeah. uh that being said i mean and art guards was this way too and i would say your other music but more so on this album i would say it's very much rooted in denton i mean it's clear right. with the street names in driver choreographer and the artwork literally has the town square on it i mean right. it's the whole thing uh and then even it, it's a little bit more disguised in songs like barbecue artists and then also the the drummer song where uh we're talking about this fire and all of us who lived in denton at the time there there was a fire on the town square right. so i guess my question is do you think you would be able to write this album if you over those years that you wrote this album you were living in new york city or just Oklahoma or something like this. Do you think that this album would have come out the same way if you weren't in Denton? Probably not. I mean, the and here's the thing, and I mentioned this in my Bandcamp article, and I was like embarrassed that they mentioned this because I thought this was the one thing they would not bring up. But so I wrote the the Elephant album, and before it came out, there was a Bob's Burgers episode about thomas edison's murdered elephant <laughs> and i was sitting there with an almost finished album when the same topic and i'm like what the hell this is this sucks <laughs> it's like but i'm so deep into it i have to finish it right and so then like a similar thing happened with art guards but not not as badly is that i'm at the stranger things right i made like a whole like thing where this lighting technician like brings all of her lamps and makes a light show, you know? And I was at a show explaining it and people started like chanting stranger things at me. Or someone was like, stranger things. <laughs> I was like, well, that sucks. Um, so this one, I'm like, well, okay, let's keep it super local so that no one can scoop me and like, it'll look like you know, it, it'll it'll be more unique because it'll it'll come from um, it'll come from a place of uh, a local place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. That's a great way to do. It. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're scooped that many times in a, you know throughout your the history of your career, you're like, all right, let's fix this. That that's a brilliant way to do. And it. And I also noticed with like I made that album Albatross about, and that was a very Texas heavy album and you tend to forget living in texas that it's like this mythical bigger than life place to people and like right. i i knew that back in 2007 or whatever and then it just fades away and then i reminded myself of that again where i was like oh yeah like people love that <laughs> Love that stuff. <laughs> People love Texas. Even on top of that, like, you know, I don't live in Denton anymore. I, I live in Dallas. It's not like I'm super far, but listening to this album, I mean, 
just singing, being able to sing along like the chorus uh, of the street names of the the town square. Right. That's super cathartic for me, especially you know during the pandemic where I really haven't been to Denton much, right. and you know. It, it's super fun. I mean, it, it's like very much whenever I come on to this podcast and I hear that Denton train going through Dave's microphone <laughs> and then it makes its way to Adam's microphone. As soon as I hear that, it's really cathartic. So, I mean, it's super fun as a local. I, I'd be curious. I would love to hear it from somebody's perspective, you know, who lives in like, you know, California or something. And that's that reminds me of two things. So number one... um, and we didn't mention this for like anyone who's like dropping into this cold. Um, uh, the first song, there's a holiday established from a uh, time capsule. That's this, now I sound like a crazy person. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Uh, this will make people want to go and listen to the record. The the album is called Waitsgiving, and Waitsgiving is a holiday established from a mysterious time capsule that is not uh, purposefully not dug up on the city's town square. Well, that's it's inspired right by a thing that happened here, which maybe you couldn't have had that inspiration if you were, like Jackson said, living in New York, because maybe they probably dug up their time capsules there. Right. Okay. Here it is. I remember what I was gonna say. So my number one goal of this album, I make this fictional holiday, and my secret goal was, okay, if I make the most Denton-centric album of all time, then maybe I can have my own holiday, and they'll turn it into a real holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want your holiday to be Waitsgiving, or do you want it to be Eric? Do you want it to be Fishboy? I want it to be Waitsgiving, but... At at a certain point, I added a very specific date, which is May 17th, as being the day of Waits Giving, and that's my birthday. So the goal is for this album to blow up and for the city of Denton to make a holiday on my birthday where nothing happens. My God. So did you already did you already look up to make sure that there wasn't already a, a day dedicated on, on that day no, I, to something else? No, I didn't. I mean, I'm sure they do that all the time. <laughs> but you also mentioned at one point that you want that the the dance at the end of the record to become a TikTok viral trend, right? So when you're when you're writing yeah. when you're writing these lyrics and stuff, do you just think, oh, it'd be so great if if I could make Waitsgiving an unofficial holiday, or do you start with that idea, like, you know what, I, my birthday is a little boring, I want an official holiday. Let me write <laughs> no, a it, I had the song, and then. And then at some point I was like, you know, I I time travel in in hypothetic fantasy universe, thinking about well, some someday someone's gonna want Thanksgiving to be a real holiday. So what's the date gonna be? <laughs> and I was like, well, let's put a line in the song where <laughs> where I add a date. So <laughs> that that was the pro that was the trajectory of that. And like I, re- I rewrote that song like a million times. You know, it was originally gonna be like a more like a country type of song, swinging acoustic song, and then it was like this, like dad rock Thin Lizzy song, and then like the band couldn't nail it, and then it became this piano song, and then it, and then I had to change the key to make my voice sound better, and. I could o- I could only play it in a certain key, so I had to do like a whole Groundhog's Day thing, by which I mean practicing <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> that's that's the best way to describe practicing. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, the pan- the early days of the pandemic <laughs> pandemic were were like Groundhog's Day, where I was like, I need to learn these songs on piano now that I have this piano here. Well, hey, uh, mention the piano tuning. Uh, I don't know if everybody's heard this, but I found it fascinating when I heard about it. It's it's is it ten cents off? Yeah, it's ten, ten cents, cents flat? flat because I couldn't. I didn't want. This was like March twenty twenty. I didn't want to bring a piano tuner into my house. Right at that point, we didn't know what this thing was. So I was like, yeah. So I I got a drum key and a pliers and. Uh, just tried to do it myself, which is really hard. And it was pretty good. There's one 
there was one really sour note that we were able to digitally fix when we were mixing. But other than that, yeah, everything's 10 cents flat. Even the songs without piano. It's like, just make it, <laughs> just put them all 10 cents <laughs> flat so that, so that uh, everything sounds the same. How, how much fun did the trumpet players uh, have with that? I mean, I don't know. He recorded at his house and emailed it in. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, was was Matt Pence playing drums on this? Yeah. So I recorded everything. I recorded a layer of drums all by myself. And some songs had drum machine. And uh, I took it to the studio. And I was like, hey, uh, you know, if you want, you can uh, put your own drums on this. <laughs> And make it sound a lot better. And he's like, "Oh yeah, sure, I can do that." I was going to ask because there's, you know, some songs there's program drums. Yeah. Uh, some songs you have synth bass over electric bass. Right. There's acoustic piano, and sometimes there's a lot of synthesizers. How did you kind of decide which was where? And even some songs there's elect there's program drums and Matt Pence. <laughs> yeah so like that greatness waitress song i was like i don't i'm on the fence do we want to do drum you know leave this drum machine or do we want to have you play or a combination and we decided on like a combination but yeah his his drumming makes the album sound amazing because he we recorded drums in the studio and it completely changed the sound of the album before it was like an intimate like you know, rough kind of demo thing, and then you add on these big drums in a room, and it's on on top of him being an amazing player, and right. he like, I mean, he did it in two nights, so <laughs> like, yeah, ten ten hours made max. He was able That's to crazy. do That's it, um, and he's an amazing player. Yeah, and and he's like, he had a uh, an assistant an engineering assistant like hit record for him um but yeah the the dude completely made this album what it is yeah i i this this uh, sorry if this comes off in, in a wrong way but i felt like the entire time even though his drumming was energetic and like really great it still had the vibe of the drum machine and i loved yeah. it I loved how like the even even when he was playing energetic in certain spots i was like this still feels like it's this sort of <laughs> yeah softer like it it, it 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 didn't it didn't ever take away from any sort of like drum machine kind of like low-key vibe that i thought was established in it on the album yeah because it's, thought, it's mostly it all amazing. to a click which is just yeah 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 i just captured it all clean and uh mic'd everything really nice and kept a minimal amount of layers on the album so w when you have someone like that a collaborator because he's not officially in your in your band right um and you're recording you know for example pyrotechnic geriatric yeah. are you telling him like hey this song is about a drummer can you play a bit busier because he is playing a bit busier in that song so with that song i recorded that song to the loop of our other song uh i'm a volcano and i was, I was like just play this but make it different <laughs> but i don't care how much <laughs> different because this is like i love this beat anyway and it's like you know, it's a generic beat. Let's mention uh, you guys do have, uh, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, uh, three album guests. Yep. You have Sean from AJJ, yep. which, you know, I gush like a schoolgirl knowing yep. that. And then uh, you have the weight signal. <laughs> uh, I don't know who that is, but you have the weight signal. But the most important is that your daughter on the right. Record. And Matt is not officially part yeah. of the band. <laughs> right. Fair. I was going to ask, in, uh, is that your daughter in the background of Barbecue Artist? Yeah, that is her. The piano instrumental? Yeah. It's like really buried deep. I couldn't hear it in my car, but I could hear it in my headphones. Yeah, that's her. That's her like, I was like, I want to get, I, she's like, put that mic down or something. She's like, put that down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to get something cute. It's like, I, I, what I was trying to do is honestly was trying to get her to sing. I was like, Hey, uh, sing something, you know, sing to this. She's like, put that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's on a, yeah, she's barking on greatness. Which I was going to ask at, at the first weights giving at the end. Uh, 
yeah at the yeah so so like that was like one of the first it might have been the first song i recorded in pandemic i like sat down with my acoustic guitar just like so clenched thinking that like i wrote such a great album and like i might die before <laughs> before i get you know <laughs> right we don't because we didn't yeah. know anything about the virus and i was thinking exactly. like okay there's a bit real possibility i might die before i get this album documented or someone i love might die and i will be too sad to record this album you know so I was like, this is like, I have to do this. And and on top of that, I was thinking like, you know, I've been scooped twice. And now the world scooped me on this Patience album. <laughs> you know, if if there's ever an album that people need to hear during the pandemic, not to sound egotistical, but it's like, this is like very appropriate. And no one has heard any of these songs. So I was so clenched playing this guitar and my eyes were like, I just had my eyes squeezed shut and was playing it. And she snuck in the room with uh, like Minnie Mouse slippers on her hands. And she was acting like a puppy. <laughs> and she like leapt up on my lap and started barking. And I, and I cut it out of the track, but I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh. And so I kept that in. Like I, I probably redid that song, five, that guitar part, five, ten more times. But um, I was like, I'm keeping that barking because <laughs> that was like a great reminder to be like, hey, like this music needs to sound fun, you know? Right. It's very important <laughs> to you, but you, you don't want to be right. playing it like it is your last record right. <laughs> and putting that stress on you. This might be a good way to, you know, wrap up this episode, but you already touched on this on your last record, but I think it, it it's a little more prevalent in this one for sure. But you talk about the hardships and the triumphs of creating and it, like especially on the song Bass Digger, uh, really just talking about, you know, uh, it's easy to stop creating just because you don't feel like you're reaching your audience. But I, I know all of us here on this uh, podcast can really say, that's not the reason you started creating. That's not the reason any of us started doing things. So I completely agree with you. Like it, it doesn't sound egotistical at all because it, you definitely are hitting something uh, that's a little bit more broad than just the pandemic that, I mean, even in a perfect world, I stop playing music sometimes just because I feel what's the point, right. but that's not why right. we do it. Right. And you, you know, you get back down to the basics of it. You have that lyric in the song. If no one hears that don't mean a song shouldn't be sung. Right. It's like, that's such a great perspective to have when you're in those times of like, is anyone even listening? Right. Yeah. And that song, I was, oh, <laughs> that song, I played it a couple times live and I was always just like super scared of playing that song because I don't write songs that straightforward. Um, I always kind of like, if I'm doing something emotional, I'll do it in like third person or like veiled behind something that's funny or something. Um, but I was also making like a, a really conscious choice to like make something that's uncomfortable and being like sincere and straightforward is like very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> but there's, there's a quote I have written down somewhere in my book of like quotes from people that's like, it's like, yeah, everything everything good is going to like embarrass you in front of the right people. Right. Right. So at a certain point I was like, okay, I I have to have to risk it. <laughs> well, yeah, owning that vulnerability is is the best thing you can see an artist do. It's all, you know, I like when I like seeing my favorite artists make mistakes for that very reason. Because yeah. it shows you that they are human. The the same thing with barbecue artists. That's a it's 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 not a funny song. I mean, it's it's funny to think about basing a story around these characters, Piggy Sue, and and you know it's about a ice cream or a snow cone hut and right. a barbecue place and this drummer that lights his cymbals on fire. It's kind right. of silly, but it's very serious stuff. I think you did a really great job of being vulnerable about yeah, that. Yeah, thanks. And my yeah, my favorite movies are the ones that are like are are both right that are that are either like. 
like Swiss Army Say, Man, if you've seen that movie. I I don't think I made it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the sweet. No, part. I think I did. I don't Burn. remember. I'm thinking of like Co- Coen Brothers movies where it's like mm. it's it's um it's funny, sad, tragic, and funny. Right. Well, I agree with Dave. I mean, it really worked out for you. Waitsgiving's out now. You can get it anywhere. It was released by Lauren Records. But as you said uh, earlier in the show, yofishboy.com is you know the yeah. easiest place to go get it. You can obviously listen to it on streaming platforms, but really, you'll find it. We'll have links in the show notes. Eric, thank you very much for coming on. I, you know, Thank you for the record. I can't wait to have you uh, as our first uh, three-time guest for the next re- next record. Yeah, for sure. So let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when I write another album in five years or whatever. <laughs> See if it gets scooped by anything then. Yeah. But I think this Fingers was the ultimate crossed. scoop. Yeah, I'm definitely bummed that we couldn't have Switchblade on here to ask him about his shoes. Is he still oh, wearing that? Would have been uh, good. We should we should erase this and redo it. Because <laughs> I will say, I will add, and I know we're running long, but like he is one of the person that I sent all my ideas ideas to, like text it to. Right. It was him and um and Dave Cohen, my old bass player who lives in Ohio now. Send him a group. It's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And for barbecue artists, I heard like a couple podcasts about how awesome Hallelujah was by Leonard Cohen. And I was like, guys, this song's not that good. I can re- I can do this. I can beat Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that on the on the live stream. So, <laughs> you know, one of and, the goals for the record was to beat was to write a song better than Hallelujah. And so that started like as a joke to them. You know. And then I was like, no, I think I think I can do it. I think I can do it. So um, <laughs> you're like, I'm not joking, guys. I'm not joking. But it would be good to have his insight because I, I pr- he probably remembers stuff that I forgot over the past whatever, however many years. Well, Switchblade, if you're listening to this, feel free to reach out to the Don't Feed the Artist uh, email, and we can set up a bonus episode without Eric, and you can dish on your hot goss. <laughs> he'll t- he'll take you up on that. <laughs> I would love that. I mean, he was just like. Uh, by the way, anybody who listened to that first episode with Eric, we did not anticipate having Switchblade in, but uh, Eric just said, hey, my friend's going to join. And we're like, cool. All right. We're going to pivot. It's only our second episode of this podcast. Well, I guess this is what it'll be like. It was a great time. Yeah. And he, he's got a band called the Hayden Elders. Um, they have an album called Put Ranch on It. And uh, he great name for a he's record. covered in uh, ranch dressing on the front cover. <laughs> so check oh, wow. that out. Oh God! Oh. All listeners, please like check that, that out. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. yeah, check it out. Check it out. Well, let's wrap it up for the night once again. Eric, thank you for being on. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, let's let 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 let's uh, let's just get out of here. Let's let let's uh, know when you know what we've been listening to is weights giving that's what's what we've been listening to and that's what you should be listening to as well um so thank you all for being here thank you eric again for being here i'm so happy that you're going to replace me on the podcast that's amazing (laughs) thank you so much um and uh if you haven't already press that follow and subscribe button in front of you on whatever device you're using uh you can follow us on all the social medias you can send us an email and uh thank you thank you all so much for listening and being here and fuck off give me a towel (laughs) what Big chef kisses. <laughs> that probably meant absolutely nothing to you, Eric. I have no idea what's going on.